Welcome to the School Counseling in Nebraska podcast. My name is Lonnie Watson, and I will be joined by a colleague and a great school counseling friend, Jake Willems. This show is produced by the Nebraska School Counselor Association. We look forward to you following along as we discuss, question, and dive into all that the world of school counseling has to offer. Thanks for listening. Nick, thank you so much for joining us on the School Counseling in Nebraska podcast. I absolutely adored spending time with you at the Nebraska School Counselors Academy. Um, For anyone listening who wasn't able to be there, Nick did two sessions for us. He did the keynote session on an overview of MTSS, and then he did a little bit more of a technical breakout session on SEL curriculum and showed us some amazing things on his website. So Nick, thank you for being here. do, could you just tell everybody who wasn't at Academy just a little bit about yourself and your background? So excited to be here, Lonnie. Thank you. And I, I think the the challenge is going to be getting to know you and Jake, not just having this become a movie podcast, because I think, honestly, the three of us could pull that off if we wanted to. Um, yeah, so I am the Social Emotional Learning Services Coordinator uh, at a cooperative district in Minnesota. So I get to work with six rural school districts, kind of from 700 kids up to a little over 3000. And I used to be a school psychologist. And most recently, right up to the beginning of COVID, I was a school psychologist in a federal setting for behavior program. So that's school psychologists like school counselors do a lot of different things where a lot of different hats, our roles can look really, really different. So mine was very hands-on running groups, um, being in classroom support, proactive, reactive. Um, So I learned a lot about um, classroom management and uh, running groups and SEL instruction. And then I was just going to move into this role I have now where I'm tier one focused, building wide, building wide systems like morning meetings, advisory, PBIS stuff. Um, And um, I think part of the reason why I was at the keynote and why people even know my name um, is because of this curriculum that I started working on right at the beginning of COVID, which is the the Be Good People curriculum, which did come out, come up quite a bit in the keynote and the breakout, I think you would say, Lonnie. Absolutely. And that is what we are nerding out so hard over at Shatter Nebraska. And my team is your Be Good People curriculum and... Um, I, there's just so much more than just SEL curriculum within there. There's all right, sorts the of different strategies kind of around it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely amazing. So, so when the, you talk about oh, tier, ahead. when you talk about tier one, um, and implementing tier one, do you feel like as we progress through this MTSS, I'm getting in, I'm sorry, I need you to tell me more about background, but I'm getting in. Do you feel like, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we're focusing changing the focus a little bit to tier two and tier three, and maybe we need to really come back to focus on tier one a little bit. After your keynote, I I thought, man, there are so many more tier one activities I could be doing uh, for my students. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. That's something I'm extremely passionate about from uh, so many angles, um, just from an efficiency angle. If you think of every adult and every kid that's in that school building, uh, if if we don't bulk up the the way we support all kids kind of the program that we have for every kid who walks into that building and every adult who's onboarded we don't bulk that up and we try and build that up 
you know, in a reactive problem solving way when students are struggling. It's just such a taxing, like inefficient way uh, to handle supporting our kids. So even just this morning, Lonnie, I was I was in a, a school building and it's, you know, I work with 20 schools. Um, it, it's just one of them. And um, we were having a tier one school, all teachers uh, PLC meeting focused on uh, pre-correction. That was the, the focus. And this is a building that's, you know, been a PBIS school has gone through like state support for that for years. Um, and um, pre-correction this, well, I should, I should explain what that is really briefly. It's just before you're transitioning, like a teacher is going from giving the instructions about what we're going to do and then letting the kids go to group work, say, and you would say, while you're working with your partner, I need your voices to be at a two. And like, that would be it. That's pre-correction, just kind of getting ahead of any, any behavior issues that might come up. So you're being more proactive, preventing instead of responding. Um, so it's a, it's just a really effective research-based strategy. We've known since the early 90s that this is just a really great habit for teachers to get into, really helps kids, right? Um, and it's just a, a centerpiece of, of PBIS implementation. Um, but it was new to most of the adults in the room. Like they, they're, they're learning it for the first time. They're learning what that word means. Um, they're, they're recognizing a little bit, hey, I've done that here, but they're still kind of getting the concept of it. Um, so that is uh, the place to have that conversation is with all the adults at tier one. To me, it's not at IEP meetings. Like mm -hmm. that's not where that should be. And the, and the, the special education teacher having to follow up and, and meet individually with each teacher that work, each adult that works with that kid and teach them what that strategy is because it's written into an IEP. Like that's not an, that's not an efficient or realistic way of, of supporting kids. We know that this is a really important strategy. Every adult in the building should know what it is, be able to do it. Um, it works for all kids. And then it's so, so crucial for our kids who would struggle for our kids who are, who are at risk. So that that's to me, the only realistic way to support our kids and, um, Make it make it a realistic lift for the adults in the building, like school counselors and other specialist roles who have a ton of weight put on their shoulders when it comes to this percentage of our student body is struggling and what are we going to do to problem solve that? So I, I think the 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 way I don't think schools or districts should go about it is is putting all their focus when we say MTSS, like all their focus and attention and thought into our tier twos, our tier threes, our supplemental layers on top, like really the, the primary place we should be putting that focus for continuous improvement for for staff development for coaching is that core we really a lot of folks really miss that and just think oh core is good. The way we do business for all kids is is great. It's great, and and really lose that perspective on hey hey the the place where we can really move the needle is that core. Well, and I know we're guilty of it as a district. So we were blessed to get um a, a national aware mental health grant. So we were building our triangles, Nick, our MTSS triangles. And you know what? I think if I could do it all over again, and and we will, right? We're going to readdress this now. You, you do better when you know better. But you put a right, visual right. visual up on the keynote, and it had the MTSS triangle, and I'm drawing the triangle here. And the mm -hmm. tier one probably took up, if I remember, a good chunk of that triangle, a big chunk. And then we had tier two and tier three. Um and I think what what we did as a district is we recognized we had some gaps in tier two offerings. And so then just we went all in. 
right? So everything is a small group now and everything is a pullout and everything is an intervention. Um, and not everything, but I think we noticed that we had less of tier two. We had more of tier one and we had good tier three where we're growing in tier three. We've got really, really good um, specialists and mental health providers, LMHPs in our community that were providing some tier three and, our, and social workers. Um, and I think we noticed that we had less of tier two. So we just went all in on tier two. And I think we, in hindsight, really need to come back and identify, whoa, okay. So now we do have more tier two. We have more small groups. That's that's great. But do we really have the bulk? Do we have what we need in tier one? And are we sacrificing some tier one to do the tier twos? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I think the, the visual that I put up that I really wanted to emphasize was one where it had a student's face and it was bell to bell, you know, the beginning of the day to the end of the day. And just kind of showing this tiny yellow sliver is maybe that 20, 25 minutes when they're getting pulled out for a group. Um, and, you know, that's not even every day. Um, and then when we say tier two, that's what we're referring to a lot of the right. times is this tiny sliver of that student's day, maybe twice a week where they are getting pulled out for a group to work on friendship skills or calming strategies. And then the rest of that day is green. The rest of the day they are experiencing the, the core recipe, the, the, the strategies that we teach our teachers, our adults to do, how to interact with kids, you know, how to, how to prompt, how to direct, um, what, what questions to ask, nonverbal verbal questions, choral responding in classrooms, all, the, all these facets of the student's day they're getting that standard recipe, you know, for the most part for the rest of the day. So if we don't put an emphasis there and try and continuously improve that, then, you know, I, I didn't want to de-emphasize, you know, the incredibly important work that's happening in that little yellow sliver of the day that like the the providers you mentioned, Lonnie, are providing. That's that's so critical and crucial, but it's just a layer. It's just a little slim layer over the green. <laughs> and we need to look at the strengths of strength of that green. And there's always room for continuous improvement there. There's there's really no school, I think, that could ever rest on their laurels and just say kind of like from a from a student support, school climate, um, interactions with kids, you know, we're 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 good. We're we're really great. We have no room for improvement. I think there's a school in the country that could really honestly say that. No kidding. No kidding. Okay, so COVID happens and you're is this kind of Nick, the, the storyline here, are you recognizing that, um, through your work that schools, um, young people, educators, counselors, everyone needs more of these everyday practices and COVID happens. And tell me about that. Tell me about be good people. Tell me about where, what led you to be like, you know, gosh, darn it. I think I'm just going to make my own. Yeah. So I had just made with my, uh, um, shout out my uh, um, boss, who still is the um, program coordinator of that program I worked at. We had made some materials, uh, Molly Gavette, um, at the settle, setting for level four special education behavior school that I had, was working on up to COVID. So I'd had a little bit of experience, like a lot of people do, you know, putting together some PowerPoints, basically. Um, you know, we can use these during morning meeting. I taught the high school morning meeting um, every day. Um so we'd made some materials. So I had some experience with this and knew kind of, you know, the best practices when you're making a locally developed curriculum, when it's not 
something that a, a publisher has a big old team of people, including some scientists working on, you know, when you're making it yourself, you got to think about how do I construct this the right way? So Castle has some recommendations about this, you know, like base it on your uh, state standards and benchmarks so that you make it age appropriate. Thankfully, Minnesota in 2018 had released, you know, a K through three band of benchmarks. So it's really clear kind of what things I was trying to hit um, and how to tackle them and, and make it age appropriate. Um, and other, other factors. So I, I kind of had these great parameters and I was like, I have some experience with this. I have, I have a structure of standards and benchmarks to base it on and I'm just, I'm going to do it. So I, I pitched it to my boss with my new role. I was like, well, I'm going to be spending at least the next couple of weeks in my house. Um, can I wrangle a team of people together and can we kind of flesh out what this curriculum would be? Um, so I had, uh, four, co-workers working with me and we kind of met periodically to work on this massive thousands and thousands of rows spreadsheet um, putting it together I spent a week um, writing there's I forget what 4,000 scenarios in Be Good People currently I wrote the lion's share of those over about a week so it kind of broke my brain um, I think I watched Batman Returns like four times in a row just sitting there writing scenarios during COVID so that's a perspective um, so yeah, really, we got this curriculum up off the ground that those first couple months. And then I spent the next two years of my life really continuing to develop it constantly, um, working with grade level or a building level teams of teachers in each elementary school, secondary schools of the 20 I work with, getting their feedback like this works, we like this, this, we need more visuals, we need more videos. So, you know, I hear all the time people saying, I really love the short little videos and quotes that start most Be Good People lessons because it's a good like conversation starter for, for our kids. Like that, that came from teacher feedback, for example. So that was completely invaluable um, is, is making this resource based on my experience in a very specialized setting where I have small groups and um, can kind of deliver it a certain way um, and then making a curriculum and getting it in the hands of hundreds and hundreds of teachers and hearing feedback from hundreds and hundreds of teachers and being able to iterate and iterate and iterate. I think that that's why a lot of folks find the curriculum so valuable, I think, is that intense teacher feedback process um, and really a, an emphasis on ease of use, because coming back to your point, Lonnie, I know I'm being long, wind, long winded. One of my goals was like, I, I need something that any teacher, like in their first year of teaching, um, can throw up on their smart board and have, you know, no prep um, and just they're busy. They walked in the door with their coffee and set it on their desk and they were late there. Maybe they like there's tons of traffic that morning and like, I'm exasperated. I have to lead a morning meeting in five minutes. I'm just going to throw this on the board and have it be ultra user-friendly and predictable um, where I don't have to have a, a card with a script and like a lot of different things for me to read and process before I'm able to effectively, fluidly deliver instruction. So that was the goal. That was the goal. And that was really the first thing that I worked on for the last few years. Well, and, and I just want to reiterate what you're saying about how easy it is. I mean, literally I can go to the big, be good people website right now and I can click educators and I can 
um, I could find a lesson on, I'm going to be in a 912 health class today. And I could click on a 912 health class and find or, or pick a subcategory of something I want to work with, with kiddos. And it is there. I don't have to, it is so, um, it's so user-friendly. It's so easy to find great lessons. I mean, obviously I, I would think Nick, like any good curriculum, the more you do it rather than henpeck and find stuff for that day, doing it with fidelity and doing the program I, is going to be better. But, um, I'm just amazed at how well this is developed and how easy it is to, to get in here and find something either by the skill I want to work on with my kiddos or by where, what I'm teaching that day. Maybe if I'm, am an K-12 educator, um, and find what area I'm in and how I can relate it to my curriculum. Like that's really, really cool. So it doesn't have to be an extra or we're using extra time, but it's integrated within what teachers are already teaching or what school counselors are already maybe pushing into classrooms. Um, the other part that I think is really, really cool is your tier one practices on the website, tier two interventions and your tier three SPED interventions. Um, those are, and I just, that comes back to this whole circle of us talking about as a district. And I think a lot of districts are um, constantly searching for, or maybe lacking some tier two interventions. Um, and you have about five or six of them that are just completely set up for you. And if I'm, if I heard you right at the academy, I could maybe even integrate those within the user um, systems that we already use, maybe like an EduClimber or some other system that I could integrate some of your interventions within interfaces that we use. Am I hearing that correctly from you? Yeah, I mean, if folks in in the districts happen to be using Edge Climber, I talked to a few school counselors at the uh, conference who who whose districts do use Edge Climber. My districts happen to, um, so there's a lot of synergy there for folks who do. Um, and on the pages for Tier Two you're referencing, Lonnie, I do have links to our the kind of website we're talking about is is like a SEL kind of satellite website that I built and. Um, I also maintain our district website. So when there's an EduClimber link, it's going to take back to the district website where there would be, you know, things for math and reading and every topic area, right? Um, so we have a lot of technical, there's a lot of videos of me screen sharing, talking through EduClimber technical stuff. That's that's part of my, my job too. Um, but the the tier twos like you say um i think my favorite description it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek for tier twos is that this came up in the breakout as well um i like to call them like plug and plays mm -hmm. um because i think another kind of pitfall with mtss is we we have tier one we know what that is obviously it's it's core and then we have you know going back to before rti or mtss were even acronyms that floated around education you would have you know groups of of adults come together to talk about a student, John Smith student, right. um, who's having a difficult time. And what are we going to do to help a John Smith student? So by default, that's how a school would, would work. That's how schools worked when my mom, you know, was a teacher before again, RTI or MTSS were even things. So that that's how tier three works is we're going to like, it's John, John Smith student, and he is having trouble with just the, the program of the school. So what are we going to do to help John Smith student? That's in, inherently we're individualizing, we're tailoring it. We're, we're coming up with ideas specific for John and that takes time and it takes conversation. 
And that is a level, if we if we did that for every student in our in our buildings who is struggling, especially right now with behaviors, you know, that's mm -hmm. there's it's not realistic. It's it's completely unattainable. We could not have enough meetings. And again, it's it's really inefficient with the resources that we have. So tier two is meant to function as that really predictable, really predictable recipe. You know, it works this way. It's a good match for the, like a match is a really good word as well. You know, it's a match for this type of student need, like um, check and connect from the University of Minnesota is a specific type of structured mentoring program. So long-term an adult is meeting with a, with a kiddo. Um, they have thing like a checklist, literally a checklist of things they're gonna connect on people that are like parent and guardian teachers they're going to talk to, it's supposed to function this way. It works really well for disengagement, like students who are chronically absent, students who when they are at school feel disengaged. They're they're kind of in the back of the classroom, not listening. When it's work time, they're, they're not working. Um, so that type of student. So it's a great match for that. So once we know that, we can say, okay, we're going to have this structured mentoring program. And these are the people who are going to staff it. We know that it's always available. We're going to be able to, you know, essentially plug students into that program when they have that need. And this is the way our system is supposed to flow. I think the challenge is always resources. You know, you said we have, you know, those examples of what those are. Maintaining multiple of those, you know, a check-in connect mentoring program, skill groups for different kinds of needs students have, um, check-in, check-out, you know, the point card system. Um, if a school has the, the personnel to maintain multiples like that, that's that's great. Not all of my schools do, to be completely honest, to have multiple of those options. So again, that that emphasis on tier one becomes even more critical there. So Nick, what would you tell a, a school district like mine where we've got uh, we've got PBIS. We, it's been a PBIS school for a long time. We've transitioned to really um, good teams for MTSS. I, I wouldn't say by any means that we're as strong as we could be, but we're getting there, right? Um, we, we fully understand the importance of tier one. We tried to add more tier two, probably went a little bit over the top, just like you said, when you're like the lack of resources, you're right. Because when you focus on tier two, it takes, um, it takes extra tracking and extra time and extra manpower. And we've got the tier three. So we might need to re evaluate and re jump back into the tier one, we could just be stronger. Like we could just be stronger. Where would you have us start with be good people as a district? If I were to share this with my district, with my admin, and they're not familiar with you, they didn't get to talk about every HBO series with you at dinner. <laughs> you and I went down a deep, dark rabbit hole of series we enjoyed a lot. I brought up, I brought up Succession this morning, Lonnie, actually, in a, in a little conversation after a meeting. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so where, where would they start with, with be good people? Yeah. Where, where could we start with be good people to really beef up? Um, I feel like, I feel like it, the tier two and tier three st strategies on the website are, are pretty straightforward. Where would you tell us to start if we want to really beef up our tier one practices in our district? Yeah. You know, I would, I wish we had a visual, I would take a, a new district and I've done this before for districts outside of my, the ones I work with, I would take them to the homepage of our website. We have three columns and I, I really, a lot of stakeholders I work with at this point call those like the three pillars. 
Um, to me, it's three buckets that I really like. I mean, I'm a behavior person. Let's right. let's get that out of the way. Like I'm not talking, I'm not talking literacy right now, but from a behavior tier one perspective, you've got that you call them like freestanding activities or freestanding instruction. Sometimes people call it explicit instruction. Like be good people is that it's a curriculum, mm -hmm. you know, it fits in the morning meeting or advisory, you know, bell rings, we quote unquote, start teaching SCL for 20 minutes and then the bell rings and we're done. So that's freestanding. Then you've got, uh, you alluded to it when you said PBAS, um, positive behavior strategies, like it comes down to the way we interact with kids, you right. know, while we're teaching every subject, while we're supervising lunch, when we're standing in the hallways, like the the interactions between adults and kids all day long, that that positive climate. So there's that is the biggest bucket by a long shot. And then the third is academic integration. And I really, really didn't get a lot of time to talk about this at the conference, but it's a, a huge area of passion for me. It's, you know, while we're teaching content you know, while we're reading a, a novel in an ELA class, and when we're talking about the decisions the characters are making, the way that they're engaging in teamwork or not engaging in teamwork, the emotional experiences that the characters are having and how that's affecting their decisions. These are all social, emotional, you know, life skills that are present in that content. So a, a new teacher who's not necessarily being deliberate won't um, won't squeeze every last drop of juice from that grape that they could. Um, and when we do a group work routine, um, you know, the way that we're setting up groups and whether how students are dividing up their responsibilities, the way that they're giving and receiving feedback to each other, whether we do that intentionally, and again, kind of squeeze all the, the learning social emotionally from that, um, that's academic integration. I'll get to the point with that. So that's a, I've written in the past year, close to 7,000 um, different just ideas for teachers for every core content area and electives, and then for each grade band for that. So that's a area I'm really excited about. So anyway, freestanding instruction, positive behavior strategies, interactions with kids, and then that third one of academic integration. To me, that's, that's it. And that's everything I operate in. That's my entire job. So if I were coming to a brand new district, Lonnie, and talking about how to beef up tier one, I don't, I, I, I connected with a district in Michigan who I started working with. And I was saying like, I don't know if I was in a vacuum, I started in my districts with be good people. Cause I was building it, but like, I don't know if I would start there. I, I honestly don't. I think I, I might start there. I might start with the positive behavior strategies. Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, if I was just kind of dropped, dropped out of an airplane into any random district, I might start there. Cause like, I think there's a, a ton of room for growth in every Every district I've worked in, you know, the ones I work with every day and then other, you know, other states and other districts who who work with me, um, folks that have been, quote unquote, PDIS schools for years, very often have put up visuals, um, have maybe worked on a matrix, you know, lunchroom, hallway, classroom. These are our rules that are that are common and standard. Maybe they have, you know, an incentive ticket system, um, maybe like a school store, and then they just kind of, they stop there. And that is the most, I mean, not that it's not important, but those are, we, we can't stop there. Like the real beating heart of PBIS, you know, I guess I'll frame it this way. Like a, if you walked into any school in America, um, the way that 
uh, teachers would quote unquote classroom manage is is each classroom doing it entirely differently. Um, the way that they, you know, because teacher prep programs, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but like it's a kind of chronic no, joke. It's, it's a big joke. Yeah. Like the teacher prep programs don't prepare teachers with the tools they need for that right? behavioral management. Like that is just a, a big narrative. Um, so they come into their classrooms for the first time and they get, you know, the mentor trickle. They get experienced teachers who are their mentors who will give them some advice that they get to watch, right. you know, when they're student teachers. But then they have, you know, you know, TikTok and, and whatever resources people can Google online to get ideas. And that's that's kind of how it goes. And again, each each classroom is going to operate potentially very, very differently. Um, and you don't have that necessarily cross pollination because teachers don't necessarily have meetings where this is a priority to talk about or or programs where they can do like a learning walk and walk into each other's classrooms and just see how another teacher does it. So what a what is what does a school like that do when they have you know a big eruption of behavior concerns that was bigger than before covid which is the case with a lot of, like every school um right and you know that we were able to handle this before by putting out fires but we can't now i hear that all the time um so before covid they would have brought in like a guest speaker every couple of years um and the everyone would have kind of sat through it and absorbed some new jargon you know 10 15% of the teachers there would have kind of been into it and taken it further and tried to apply what the speaker said. The rest would just kind of hear that speaker and say like, oh, okay, this is a new initiative. Um, we'll see, we'll see how long this lasts. And that's kind of how initiative fatigue goes, right? Right. So coming back to the point, like the way the way PBIS is supposed to work is you've got this this tool belt of of ways of interacting with kids that we know are highly effective, like pre-correction, that little tiny cue you're peppering in before these transitions to get ahead of these problems, um, opportunities to respond, like the frequency and the way that you're asking kids questions, you know, because any any normal classroom, usually you'll say, you know, raise your hands, same five, 10% of kids will raise their hands, you'll call on one at a time. There's huge percentages of your kids who don't use their voice at all in the appropriate way you're looking for right. they they create their own opportunities to blurt or disrupt or talk to their peers so anyway there's this tool belt of of strategies that we've known are highly effective since the early 90s and just concentrating on those repeatedly over time we we train teachers on them then we keep coming back to them the one the thing i was doing this morning was just so exciting it was the first time this building had had like a workshop routine I, I came up with where we take a discipline description of an actual incident from our student information system, change the names, make it anonymous, but then say, hey, this, this tool belt of PBIS strategies, how could we effectively respond when this happened? And everybody talk about it, ideally role play it, and then step back and say, okay, how could we have prevented it in the first place? which is the much less frustrating avenue for everybody. Right. And then just keep using the same terms, keep using the same lingo. Like that, that is where to me, we really move the needle. So I think I, I think I told the story at the conference. I can't actually recall, but when I, you know, before I was working at this level four behavior program, um, I was working at more of a typical school setting. It was a high school and I, I was on IEP teams as a school psych where, you know, occasionally we would place students at this, you know, level four behavior program building. 
And the students would come back to us months, sometimes years later, um, and they were highly successful in our school. And I was like, how did this happen? Like, what magic wand did these people have at this program that we placed the student in? Because you go from this ninth grader who was, you know, chronically skipping classes, pounding on, on, on doors. Um, and I was literally kind of chasing around the building with my principal colleagues and stuff. And, and that same kid is coming back to me um, less than a year later sometimes. And it's like, wow, hi, um, what, what happened? Like what magic sauce did this program use? And then I went to go work at the program and I got to experience what the magic sauce was. And it was, it was just, you know, basically just those PBIS strategies, just the, the things I mentioned earlier, like the, the tool belt, the, the one that if you go to Florida PBIS or Missouri PBIS, you could read all about it. You could see the formula, you know, it's, it's these strategies and you just do them a lot and you, and you get really good at doing them. And yet, and when new teachers and adults get onboarded into your district, you make sure they get good at doing them. And you make sure that everybody could walk in a classroom and notice and name those strategies. Um, and of course there's, you know, need for specialization and nuance for specific kids, but like that, it's kind of what I was talking about. Like it was that green stuff. It was, it was that core. It was just really, really strong. And like there, the, the core of what that sped behavior program I worked on did was just basic tier one PBIS. They just did it really, really well. Um, so just to, to, to finish off the story, like my job right now, working with 20 schools at that tier one level, you know, now thousands and thousands of kids and, and hundreds and hundreds of adults is basically just trying to scale up what that program is doing and just make it where it's all, it takes a lot longer. It's a lot harder um, in a setting, you know, a typical school with hundreds and hundreds, thousands of kids and hundreds of adults it takes longer. It's harder than like a small behavior program, but like, that's, that's the mission to me. That's what works. We've all the research on PBIS these days is like, we know these strategies work. We've known that for decades. It's just kind of how implementing it's all implementation science. Like the, the how do we make it stick? How do we plant the seed and water it so that it keeps growing for years and years instead of planting a seed, ignoring it, letting it die, planting a seed, ignoring it, letting it die. Like we got to get out of that initiative fatigue cycle. We got to invest. We got to keep it simple, come back to it year after year. Um, and th that is, that's the magic sauce. <laughs> Sometimes when I think this is going to be really off topic, not off topic, but this is really colorful edition. Sometimes Nick, when I think about PBIS strategies and how we know they work and they don't just work with the littles, they work because sometimes we kind of lose it as it goes. Cause I'm in a nine twelve building. I think about, mm -hmm. I've got little kids at home and we read, um, Berenstein Bears forget, forgot their forgets their manners. I can't remember what the title is all the time. And mm -hmm. did you ever read the Berenstein Bear books? Oh uh, yes, yeah. yeah. So it's just it's funny. I always think about PBIS PBIS this way uh, to an extent, or like what works with kids. And we know the reminders before transition, the intentional praise when we see it, the thank you for asking. Uh, you know to get what you know what we're looking for in those strategies in the Berenstein Bear books. Um, mama is tired of 
the lack of manners, manners in her house. So she sets some parameters for how they're going to respond and how it's going to, and the kids go overboard with it. And they're like, oh, we're going to drive mom so crazy. We're going to be extra polite. She thinks we're going to have manners. We're going to annoy her because we're going to say, oh, thank you, my dear. And all this. And at the end of the book, I mean, what really happens obviously with PBIS or anything like that actually works is they just start doing it because it works in their family and it makes everyone feel good right? So having manners and, and um, saying please and thank you and in, in the Berenstein Bears, you know, version or, but it's just funny with teachers because I mean, so, so few teachers doing it can still have such a big ripple because it works. And just like you said, like um, the, the mentor trickle can, I think work with PBIS and MTSS. And I'm sure with your be good curriculum um, as well is if, enough of us latch on to those strategies that work and show other educators that this works, um, it's going to hopefully then have a massive impact. And and then I piggybacking on your idea of, and then district-wide, we have to, we can't let it go, right? We have to keep hanging on to it and keep adding more to it and keep training these new teachers that come into us and these new school counselors. So I don't know, I get really excited about the way you talk about tier one and and all these strategies, because, um, I don't know, we know how to do them. This isn't something we need to spend 10 grand to do. And isn't something that we need to relearn. We, we know what works and we just need to keep staying the course and, um, not get discouraged with the next things and keep doing the, the strategies that we know works with kids. It makes kids feel good. It makes our jobs, um, more exciting to go to every day. So I'm, I'm really excited about the way you talk about those, um, intentional, uh, PBIS strategies and tier one um, in your curriculum and in your keynote. It was just awesome, Nick. Thanks. I'm just, I'm obsessed with, with, with user experience, with ease of use. Uh, and like you're saying, Lonnie, like we, we know these things work, like there's a reason there, there are multiple, many, many reasons that, you know, every district in America doesn't have that kind of strong tier one infrastructure I was talking about. Um, but one of them is just is the is these little things like there if you google there's probably there's a million powerpoints that not a million there's a couple hundred powerpoints you could probably google and find like training on pre-correction that hundreds of schools have put together like there's lots of resources on this stuff like i said going back to the early 90s a lot of these strategies have been established um one thing i i did for our training materials that's been really successful is uh leveraging teacher tiktok like a leverage hundreds and hundreds of these short form videos of teachers demoing or just explaining, hey, this is how I do it and why it works. And there's such an incredible amount of wisdom for all these things in there. Um, I don't even know this exists. Making... There's a teacher TikTok. Like I should be looking for teacher teachers on TikTok. There's there's not only there's not only teacher TikTok, there's bus what? driver TikTok. It took me a while to find it. But I worked with some of our transportation garages last year to to work on like onboarding trainings for for um, drivers, and um, I've never been a bus driver. I don't know if you know that, but just to be clear, I've never have. Me so either. When I don't was think that's in my cards. Craft, yeah, I was charged with crafting, you know, basic behavior management onboarding for for new bus drivers. Um, I didn't honestly didn't know where to start because you know there's so many of the ways we do it in the classroom are logistically impossible. Um, like, first of all, like they, their, their kind of worldview they've told me is their rear view mirror. Um, yeah. that's it. That's what they can see. They can't even hear anything while they're driving the bus. Um, so 
I had to find bus driver TikTok. And that was a, a godsend for me as these couple of drivers explaining um, how they do it. Um, but that same thing with teacher TikTok, like to your redirection, you know, directly addressing a student who's misbehaving, which is one one way, by the way, of, of handling disruptive, inappropriate behavior is kind of like direct to the student. Um, there's a host of videos in our training presentation. This is in that tier one practices right. area of the website you were referencing, Lonnie. There's a host of videos on that topic about how to do that. That if you were a brand new teacher, when I worked, when the first time I worked in a school building for years, I didn't pick up this stuff. Like no one even gave this a name, let alone explain like, oh, you, you need to give that redirection and then just move on like instantaneously. Don't right. even linger with a pause. Like don't, don't just wait there giving the student kind of this pause to, to jump in and respond to you and look at them expectantly. You're going to get into a power struggle. Like having a veteran teacher just explain that and pass on that wisdom to new teachers is is gold. There's so many so many nuggets of gold because these are sure sure I recognize what that word means. Sure I've done maybe that a handful of times, but there's a lot of craft. There's a lot of craft, and when you're privileged to walk in and spend some time in these classrooms of teachers who are highly successful and have really honed that craft, you're just you're supercharged and and you're looking for any way you can distribute that out. Um, Cause wouldn't that be better for all the kids in the building? And wouldn't that be better for the, all the adults in the building? Like teacher self, teacher self efficacy and avoiding burnout and having people stay in the profession is a huge, I think about that all day, every day. Me too. Like being able to think about what can I control to make my day at work better. Um, and when people don't, have any answers to that question and they think wow it's hopeless like it, it's i'm helpless like nothing i do there's no knobs i can turn if i go tomorrow i'm just gonna have to deal with this i'm just gonna have to try and put out this fire i'll fail i'll get back in the car and i will just be drained like that is a burnout cycle i've been in that before and it's not fun so like that is i am just responding i'm just responding i'm just responding so like the only way to pull yourself out of that that spiral is to get at these preventative preventative measures um and yeah just unfortunately too many too many adults and teachers don't even get that exposure and explanation uh, um and that wisdom coming to them um yeah, I could talk all day about I, this. I, I have enjoyed I have stolen so much of your time and I so appreciate you, Nick. Um if if anyone um you just just go on the website, go to Google, type in be good people, it'll be the first search that you get. Um my advice as being new uh to be good people is click on the educators tab at the top right. Um and just dive in a little bit. So just what Nick was talking about, the support for educators. If you start right off there in the tier one practices, you can go through any of those that he was just talking about that are going to be preventative and not so we're not in crisis response all the time because that is exhausting. We're exhausted by crisis response. And then, um, oh, just play around with the tier two interventions, the academic integration. There's about six spots on that page for educators. If you're looking for calming strategies, there's a toolbox for that. So if you're listening to this, um, get on that website, uh, give it a look, maybe share it with any of your teachers. If you do have teachers who are 
having burnout or if you're having any um, grade level meetings that you want some strategies to work on together, teamwork is like the best part of this gig for me. I love to just, uh, I love to talk to you, Nick. Like you're now on my team. Thank you so much for being part of <laughs> my team. I feel like it. I feel like I could go to you if I'm getting burned out or, hey, here's some some things I think you should try. So um, thank you for taking your time. I, I stole you for so much longer than I told you I would, but I appreciate you hanging in there oh, with me today. It was a pleasure, Lonnie. All right. I hope thanks so we, much. I hope we can talk again soon. Um, and thank you, everyone who is listening to School Counseling in Nebraska podcast. Hey, we just want to give a shout out and a thanks to our listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others post about it on social media or leave a rating and review to catch all the latest from Nebraska school counselors association. Follow us on Facebook. Huge. Thanks. Shout out to all the listeners. Please share like review and join us in two weeks for our next episode.